0: Well, welcome everybody to week two of our series that we're calling The Perfect Family. And if you missed last week, you probably want to go back and catch up on that so you have a foundation for what we're going to talk about. There is no perfect family. We all got issues. We all got stuff we're struggling with. And as far as the um, you know word family goes, we know that people define family many different ways. Like we talked about last week, you may consider your family uh, people that are not even biologically or genetically related to you. They're just so close friends and all that kind of stuff. So basically, by the word family, yes, we do mean family in the traditional sense, but we also mean relationships in general. This is a series for all of us. But today, we are talking unapologetically, straight up, about marriage. Yeah, yeah, and here's why. Because I believe that marriage is still the relational center of the family unit. At least for now. I don't know if it will always be that way. Uh, I know things change in culture and all that kind of stuff. But I, I do believe that at least for now, uh, it's relational center. And what I mean by that is most of you either are married or will at least consider marriage. Um, at least most of you. Not all of you. And, and single people, listen. L- look at me in my God-given eyeballs. Don't, don't mistake. Okay? All right, here's the deal. Single people. It is okay to be single. Nothing wrong with being single at all. Jesus was single, <gasps> pretty good dude. You're in good company. All right, uh, Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, single, right? No, no, so no problem being single. So obviously, if you're married, what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes applies to you. If you're single, and one day you think I may get married, this applies to you. Um, If you're single again and the idea of marriage, you're like, heck no, we won't go. Uh Uh-uh, no way. I ain't doing it. Okay, then here's the deal. Um, If if marriage is not in your future, at at least consider these things as an opportunity for you to learn and possibly help uh, those in your life who are married and you may have influence with. So um, I want to start this way. Um, And you're like, I thought we just started. Actually, now we're going to start. Through the years, I take lots of notes, lots of notes. I have a a database uh, that I have you know, leaned into for years that I I take all kinds of notes on different topics and I see things and I capture them and I file them away. So when I'm talking about something, I can go back and kind of research stuff that I have collected through the years. And I've been doing this for almost 30 years. So it's been, I've got some stuff. And so when I go to marriage and I type in marriage and I'm looking through my database and I'm like, I got all this great stuff that, and so much stuff I can't share all at one time. And you should be glad that we'd never leave. I, I was thinking, man, i got to be able to share some of this stuff, and some of the stuff is funny. And so I thought I thought it would be a great way to break the ice, because trust me, by the time we're over, done, <laughs> the ice will have needed to be broken. And I'm going to break the ice with some funny stuff, right? So I'm going to start with some of the funny stuff that I have in my notes that I've never been able to share, at least I don't think. And if I've shared it before, laugh like you're hearing it for the first time. Okay, deal? Great. And uh, here's the funny stuff on marriage. Again, just kind of setting the tone for, you know... At least it started funny. Hank told the marriage counselor, we haven't agreed on anything in 16 years. His wife sitting right beside him said, it's been 17. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's some of my favorites. Um, a guy said to his friend, you know, before I got married, I didn't know there were so many wrong ways to eat, chew, walk, breathe. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, a lady calls the bank and says, hey, I need a home improvement loan for $500. A home improvement loan for $500. The banker said, okay, great. Uh, That's kind of a small amount for a home improvement loan. Could you help me understand what's going on? She said, yeah, yeah. Here's the deal. For $500, I can put my husband on a plane, and that would greatly improve our home. (laughs) Two guys are in the gym. One says, you know, my wife treats me like a god. God. The other guy says, you mean she worships and adores you? He says, no, she ignores me until she wants something. <laughs> yep. And, and my personal favorite of this list, Carol took off her glasses before entering the restaurant. Her husband Joe said, do you take your glasses off because you think it makes you look better? Carol said, no, I take my glasses off because it makes you look better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's
0: okay, it's okay. Okay, remember, that was funny. Just remember... It's funny. Because let's take a hard right turn here, okay? This is serious. I came across this on my notes, and I'm just like, oh, so, so needed. I needed to hear this again. The late Howard Hendricks, who is now with the Lord, author, seminary professor, he wrote this. Before marriage, you have a picture in your mind of the perfect spouse, after you get married, you will either tear up that picture or you'll tear up the person. How many of us have been guilty? I would say, and maybe all of us at some point, if you've been married for you know, more than 30 days or so, have been guilty of tearing up the person. May God help us today. Learn how to lay aside the idea of it being perfect and learn what we can do to make it great. Because here's the deal. I believe this with all my heart. I believe everyone wants a great marriage. But few want to do the things that make a marriage great. And again, if you're not married... So many of the principles we're going to talk about apply to any of your relationships. But again, we're, today we're talking about marriage, straight up marriage. And I, I don't know anybody that goes to their wedding day going, we just hope it goes nominally well. We're okay with a marginally happy life. Yeah, it's okay. Eh, I, I would be okay with okay. No, we all want a great marriage. Or you wouldn't have spent all that money and done all that stuff and brought your family and friends before God and Yeah, we all want a great marriage, but very few people want to do the things that make a marriage great. And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk about a couple of things that I believe that is so clear, that makes a marriage great. Two parts. Okay, part one, part two, and we're going to take a, a detour in between part one and part two to talk about something that's very important, especially in our day and time. But what we're going to talk about is very simple, very, 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 very simple, so simple. We may sidestep it. It is simple, but it is not easy. It is so challenging. That's why many people won't do the things that make a marriage great. And then, before we're done, at the very end, I want to give you a purpose statement for your marriage, a mission statement, if you will, for your marriage that will guide you and bring in the parts together. So, here we go. Part one. Part one of what makes a marriage great. And if you will do this, these are the things that make marriages great. Part one, in order to set it up, I want to take you back to where we left off last week. Last week, we were talking about where Paul, single, interesting, wrote to, and I just put that in there for single people again, right? You're you're still here. Paul wrote to a group of Christians in Ephesus in the first century about some very, very powerful principles. We talked about this last week, and he wrote... Imitate God, remember this? Imitate God, imitate God in everything you do, in everything, in everything, which leaves out nothing, which means your relationships too. Imitate God in your relationships and everything you do. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What is that like? And last week we saw that Paul said, it's to live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. Live a life filled with love, remember that? Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. That's what it looks like to imitate God in everything you do. So in our relationships, to live a life filled with love following the example of Christ applies to all our relationships, but I would say it especially applies to marriage. Here's why. Marriage is the only relationship I know where you take a vow and you promise to live a life filled with love, whether you know you're following the example of Christ or not, if you're gonna love, you're gonna follow the example of Christ, even if you don't realize that's what you're doing because he is love and he set the standard on love. So I, marriage is the only relationship where you're gonna, you promise up front. You don't do that for parenting. I mean, the baby just come out and here they are and here we go. You don't do that for friendships, right? We don't do that for, you know, being a neighbor. All the paperwork you sign to buy a house, you would think the neighbors would at least throw a couple of pages in there. I promise to, you know, no, right? Only marriage, only marriage. And so since we vow to do this, don't you think it just makes sense? That we double down on making sure we actually do it. So Paul says, imitate God. Imitate God in everything you do, following the example of, uh, living a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. And he goes on, he goes on, and he gets to this next section. And further, if we're imitating God, following the example of Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. Now, before we define what we mean by submitting, let me just go ahead and let you know that Jesus set the gold standard for this. He did this with perfection. Perfection. We see this in his life. We see this in his death. Jesus set the standard. But the word submit is not a dirty word. It's not an ugly word. It's not about demeaning. It's not about a less than value. To submit is not to be walked on, to be a doormat. No, what we're going to see submit is, is actually a very beautiful, powerful thing. And we're to submit. Whatever submit means, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but whatever submit means, it's a spiritual issue too because we're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And let me say one more thing before we define submit. Throughout the years, the church, the big C church, unfortunately, has botched this in teaching submission because here's Why? B- because for some reason, and I think I know why, and I'll tell you in a minute, but for some reason it's just kind of focused on women in marriage. You, know, like you wives submit to your husbands. You wives submit to your husbands. You wives submit to your husbands. And, and then it's just like the husbands are like, yeah, <laughs> you know. It's just, that's a horrible, horrible thing. Here's why. Because it says submit to one another. One another. I'm just like, can y'all read? To the one another, we're all one another's. Nobody is left out of the one another's. I mean, so technically this is about, you know, wives submitting to husbands, yes, but only because it's husbands submitting to wives and only because it's friends submitting to another friend and only because it's a neighbor submitting to another neighbor. It's nobody's left out of the one another's. Submit to one another. We all are in it. So what does it mean to submit? Whatever it is, it's a spiritual issue because we're to do it out of reverence for Christ. It ain't just about me. It ain't just about you. Here's what it means to submit. It's the most simple, straightforward way I know to put it. To submit is to say you before me. You before me. You before me. We've talked about this before. It's been a long time. But we'll come right back to it again because I don't think any of us have mastered this yet. You before me. Again, so simple, very hard to do. This is so foundational in marriage. I have now changed my wedding notes and wedding ceremony stuff to include this. About five or six years ago, I think, maybe a little bit before that, I started putting this in all of my wedding ceremony notes, you before me, because it's so foundational. If I did your wedding before that, sorry. Um, But (laughs) it, it should have had this in it. You know, you before me, you before me. It's the most important, three words, more important than I love you. Here's why. Because you before me is what I love you means. It's what it was meant to mean. You before me. In everything, in every way, your ideas before me, your thoughts before me, your needs before mine. Just you, 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 you. Doesn't this fly in the face of what we're taught? And sometimes what we feel. You before me. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I know, I know, I know. Because you were, you know, you... You're big Oprah fans and I, nothing wrong with Oprah. I love Oprah and you know, you follow all that and you've read the books and you've heard the, you you, you follow the podcast and, and right, you've heard. You know, what about me though? What about me? If I'm putting them first, who's going to look out for me? What about me? Because we're told to, you know, love yourself first. Put yourself first. Make sure you take care of yourself first. Whatever you do, please, please do, do you first before, you know, right? You do you that's what we're told. Put on your own mask before you help others. Now listen, that is absolutely true when a plane is going down and you lose cabin pressure, yes, okay? But it's, it's not about, this is, it's, it's not submission. Submission is you before me, you before me, you before me, I will you before me to you and you, you before me to me. What about me, what about me, what about me? What about me? Oh, great question. Here's the genius of this. If I, you, before me, you, and you, you, before me, me, then we both get you before me, and nobody is left out. Isn't that amazing? See how simple that is. That is so hard. If you will, you, before me, your husband, and your husband will, you, before me, your, your wife, And the parents, you before me, we could keep going because in the passage, it keeps going. You before me, your kids. Kids, you before me, the parents. You before me, each other. Woo, employers to employees. I mean, it just keeps going. Chapter five, chapter six, this whole, this is a big section. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then nobody gets left out. I meet your needs, you meet mine. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, that's nice and not a perfect world, but it ain't perfect. You said it ain't perfect, and it's one-sided. I'm the only one. He won't do it. She won't do it. I'm the only one. They won't participate. And when you are in a lopsided, one-sided, you-before-me situation, number one, there's work to do. But number two, you know the best way for them to learn how to you-before-me, you in return, is for you to set the standard, set the pace, and not with an attitude like, see, it ain't that hard. Yeah, That's not a you-before-me attitude. That's like, I don't want to talk to you attitude, right? Right, right, it's... You set the pace. You set the standard. You do it together, and it is so hard. It is so hard because it flies in the face of our selfish natures. In fact, let me just—since we're already friends and all—the real identity crisis in our culture. The real identity crisis is that all of us have preferred pronouns, and they are I, me, my, and mine. That's the crux of the issue. I I get it. I know the debate. I know all this stuff, and I know it's very layered, and I'm trying to be insensitive. I'm just saying deep down, deep down, deep down in the places you don't want to talk about at parties. I, me, my, and mine. When's the day? That's why this whole you before me thing. Now, see, we live in a culture that says, me, 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 my truth. Me, 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 my way. Me, 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 my feelings. My feelings. What about me? What about, okay, that flies in the face. Jesus said, Hmm. you lay your life down for others. You lay yourself down for others. In fact, following Jesus is described as denying yourself, which is your feelings and your way and your needs for the sake of others. You before me. Great marriages, great marriages require you before me, period. That's part one. Now, part two. You remember that funny part at the very beginning? (laughs) <laughs> that was funny. It's funny. I keep laughing at that because this next part, we're going we're to need to remember that together. Part two of what makes a marriage great begins with a you-before-me submission to one another. But this part two takes us and leads us into what a you-before-me approach naturally goes to, naturally will lead us to, which gets into God's original intent and design for marriage. So Paul He's writing this section, the you before me. He talks a little bit about husbands and wives together. And then he gets to this part. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two become one. Yeah, See, that's part two. And that's what we're going to tease out together in the next few minutes. The two become one. The two become one. The two become one. What Paul is doing here is referring back to something that is the very beginning of Scripture, the very beginning of the human story, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, when God laid out his intent and design for sex and marriage. And so he's referring back to that, and he's quoting this. The two become one. goes all the way back to Genesis. But Paul wasn't the only one that did this when he was talking about marriage. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus did the exact same thing. One day, Jesus was teaching... And, not, and this is the, the part, the, kind of the detour that I think it, we need to take. Well, I know we need to take, because um, it's just where we are in our culture and there's so many questions and stuff. So let, let's Jesus speak to this, okay? Jesus was teaching one day and somebody asked Jesus a question about divorce. Jesus is okay if we get divorced. I mean, he's broken, she's broken, I need a new one, I got a bad one, I got her dead. Can, can we get a redo and undone, or, you know, can I get a divorce? And they're, and they're trying to see what Jesus would say. Now, you would think, Jesus, straightforward kind of guy, right? Jesus would answer the question. Jesus could have very well said, no, it's not God's purpose, God, not, not God's intent, not God's design. You really just need to not be divorced. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be divorced. You know, work, work together, you before me, you before me, you before me kind of thing. He could have said that, but he didn't. He didn't. He actually answered the question on divorce by going way around and going back to where Paul went in Genesis one and two, and he clarified something about marriage in order to make a point about divorce. And he didn't have to do that. Now you can't assume that Jesus was flippant with his words, that Jesus was careless, that he was just kind of talking, you know Jesus, he just talked, talk, talk, talk. No, 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 no. You have to assume that Jesus said what he said because he meant to say it. And he didn't have to talk about marriage in order to make a point about divorce. He could have said, no, don't do that. But he did, and so we have to assume that is significant. It was very intentional. So in order to answer the question about divorce, Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. So here we have Jesus, not me, not you, but Jesus, who who lived and died and rose again. And again, when you when you predict and pull off your own death and resurrection, we've said it many times, you just go with whatever they say. They're right. Jesus clarified this context for God's intent and purpose and design for marriage, a male and a female. And he goes on then. He says, and this explains... Why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And here it is again. We saw this. We just saw Paul write about this and both of them, Jesus and Paul, are referring back to Genesis 1 and 2 and the two are united into one. Two people become one. That's part two of this. We'll come back to that in a minute. We're gonna kind of get a detour to, to get there. Just like kind of Jesus went on a detour to get to the divorce. We're gonna do the same. Two are united into one and then Jesus pushes it a little further to answer the question about divorce. Since They are no longer two, but one, by God's design and God's intent and God's purpose. Let no one split apart. Let no one split apart. Not you, not her, not him, not them. Let no one split apart, but God is joined together. Okay, Jesus was very clear in what he said. Jesus clarified God's original intent and purpose. Sex and marriage. Now, here's what. Here, logically, go with me a second. It is clear throughout the whole Bible story, the Bible narrative, Old Testament, New Testament. Nobody, nobody debates this really. That that God's intent for sex was marriage. Sex. Has a context, and the context of sex is marriage. Nobody, I mean, people may not like it and they may not abide by it, and they may disagree with it, but nobody's debating whether or not God teaches this clearly in the scriptures. Nobody's debating that. This is crystal clear that sex is meant for marriage. And then Jesus is crystal clear. The marriage, I mean, sex is for marriage, logic here. Marriage between a man and a woman for life. Sex is for marriage, marriage in a man and a woman for life. Do you know what that means? You know what that means? Here's what that means to me. Having done this for almost 30 years, leading, pastoring, teaching, journeying with people, I know this crowd, I know you, I know us well enough to know that the majority, the overwhelming majority of us fall outside those lines if not now, at least sometime in the past, fall outside those lines, fall outside those boundaries. The majority of us, you're not the only one. The majority of us have, have, have either, you know, experienced sex, engaged in sex outside the context of marriage, and that's clear. It's not even fuzzy. It's not even, I mean, no gray there. It's just really clear in the scriptures. Or, I mean, there's a lot of us in that category. And there's some of us in a, in a same-sex relationship. And then, again, a lot of us, at least half, at least half, I would say, according to statistics, have divorce in your story. Sex inside of marriage. It's the context. Marriage, man and woman, and then for life. So the majority of us fall outside those lines. You know what that means? That means all of us need some grace here. All of us need to experience God's amazing grace. All of us. To fall outside those lines, either in the present or sometime in the past. Maybe it's not your story now, but it was your story, and it's a part of your story. It's a part of your life, so we need God's grace. We need to experience God's restoration and hope and healing and forgiveness, and together, take our next steps. So let me be very clear, as if this wasn't clear enough, let me be very clear. If you have experienced sex outside the context of marriage, right, and you're going, well, I guess I'm out. (laughs) I mean, I'm out. I'm, I'm rejected. No, no, no. See, we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus, which means we cannot reject you. We must not reject you. We no, you're not like second class and out. No, no, you, you need to receive the grace of God. And we follow Jesus, so, so we, cannot, we cannot reject. And at the same time, because we follow Jesus, we also cannot affirm sex outside of marriage. Because, because Jesus is, can't go outside, should not go outside Jesus' original intent. And for those of you who are divorced, and you're like, oh, okay, I've been divorced. And I'm like second class. I'm like less than. Okay, this is. Uh, I guess I'm not at the party. I guess I'm not invited. I'm guess. Oh no, 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 no. You're not rejected. We cannot. Re- we follow Jesus. We cannot do that to one another. We must not do that together. We we follow Jesus. Receive God's grace, hope, and healing and restoration. Let's take our next steps together. But at the same time, at the same time, we cannot affirm. We must not affirm. No, oh, divorce, eh, that's okay, no big deal. Because we cannot, we cannot, must not. Step outside of Jesus' original intent. And for those of you in the same-sex community, I hear this often, and it breaks my heart when I hear this. I hear this. Well, you either you either affirm us or you hate us. You either affirm me or you hate me. No, no, we're followers of Jesus. We cannot do either. We will not hate. We will not reject. We will not be unkind. We will not stiff arm you, at least not, in the, not on my watch, not up in here. We're not going to be, that's not who we are, and that we follow Jesus. But at the same time, we cannot affirm what Jesus clearly said it was outside the original intent and design of sex and marriage. So, what do we do? What a mess we're in. See, I told you it's not perfect, didn't I? Here's what we do. All of us start where we are right now. We start where we are right now. All of us start where we are right now because you can't go back, you can't undo, you can't redo, you can't undo. You start where you are right now and we together take our steps towards honoring God's original intent for for sex and marriage. We do our best we can to take those steps. You start where you are now. You are welcome here. This is your home. As far as I'm concerned, we're glad you're here. And so I welcome you to all of us to bring all of our challenges and issues and brokenness. We're all, we all deal with sexual brokenness in some way, shape, or form and we bring all of that to Jesus. We bring all of that to the foot of the cross and we figure it out together. The awkward steps together and move in the direction of God's original design and intent. That first part was really funny, wasn't it? <laughs> it's so funny. It's just, you know. Okay. Which brings us around, that was a big detour, very important, very necessary, I feel. What makes a marriage great? with you before me. And Paul said it and Jesus repeated it. And they were both were quoting back in Genesis chapter one and two, two becoming one, oneness, 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 two becoming one, two becoming one. Here's the deal. Oneness does not mean sameness. Oneness is never meant to be sameness because we are all unique individuals created that way by God's design. Oneness is not a loss of individuality. Know that. You are a unique individual created by God that way. It's not that you lose your individuality. Oneness, rather, is a unity in spite of and through our differences. Because I hear this all the time. Well, we tried. We tried to make it work. Tried to make it work. Tried to make it work. Can't. It don't work because we're so different. We're just so different. We're just so different. That's why we have that little box on the paperwork, irreconcilable differences. Yeah, it sounds very official. right? I thought, what you do because we're so different? Here's the deal. I don't understand the point. You're all different. We're all different. By God's design, we're all different. The truth is, is that great marriages are really not so much about how compatible you are, but rather how you deal with incompatibility. Because if you're married for more than like 30 minutes, you're going to realize, wait, we don't see things the same way. My wife Donna and I have been married for over 29 years, going on the big 3-0. And uh, we, we like a lot of similar things. We really do. Um, we, we both love the outdoors. We both love good coffee. We both love disliking bad coffee. And we prefer dogs. Period. Right, and and so, yeah, we we have a lot of similarities, tons, but but at the same time, as far as personalities go, my wife and I could not be more different, could not be more different, like polar opposite personalities. She is like this empathetic, feeler, heart on great legs, and and just just she just connects with people, and let's just say. I'm not those things, right? The heart or the great legs. I'm just, and it's a work of God's spirit in me to do what naturally comes to her. We're just different. She has taught me how to love people, and hopefully, hopefully you're the beneficiary of that, right? Really, when people thank me, they really should just be, can you go home and tell Donna thank you? Right, that's what people should just say all the time to me. So, yeah, we're opposite in so many ways, personality. Which has taught us. I want you to get this. Marriages don't fail because people are different. (laughs) Because we're different. But because they don't unite through their differences. You're you're not going to marry someone just like you. You won't do it. (laughs) It, You're going to marry someone who has differences. Because everybody is different. And so... Marriages don't fail because people are different. They fail because people don't unite through their differences. And uniting through your differences is a work of Jesus. This is where this, you can't do this on your own. This is a work of God in you. And it's hard work, but it's worth it. So let me leave you with a purpose statement. Ready? A mission statement. I'm going to bring all this together. This is what. This this is what will make a marriage great. And if you will do these things, you will have a great, not perfect, but a great marriage. To you before me, till we become one. There's your mission statement right there. You before me, till we become one. You keep you before me and each other until we become one. Over and over and over again, you before me, you before me, till eventually that naturally leads to you becoming more and more and more one. Oneness. You'll see it, you'll get glimpsed of it in moments, right? But I'm telling you, it's a lifelong process. You commit to this for the long haul. It's gonna take a while, and it ain't gonna be perfect. So go ahead and tear up the picture. But stop tearing up each other. Just you before me, just you before me, and we'll become one you before me each other, and that is what will make a marriage. Great. Any relationship, but since we're talking about marriage. Again, I told you, I take notes meticulously, and in my notes, when I was looking at um, this series and and this topic specifically, I, I was like, okay, this thing right here in my notes Is awesome and I want to use it. I put it in there five or six years ago, I think. I I found it and I'm like, I'll I'll, I'll use this one day. Well, I want to use it now because it's just fantastic. I I, I found this by a guy. A guy wrote this by the name of John Pavlich. I think that's the right pronunciation, John Pavlich. And he's written a lot of stuff. And he's a very polarizing, controversial figure. And he kind of he kind of puts himself out there like that. And I've read some other stuff that I'm like, "Eh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I mean, I don't agree with everything. That anybody says, I, I don't agree with everything I say sometimes. Right? That shouldn't worry you. I mean, you're the same way. You ever say something and go, I don't know about that. <laughs> right? But he wrote this. It was something called reality vows. It's basically what the marriage vows really mean, what they, what they really mean. Like, because when you're, you're standing there, you know, uh, sickness and health, Richer for poor, better for worse. You don't know. You don't know. You have no idea how bad worse can get because you haven't been there yet. And for some of you who've been married a long time, you know, you know, you know. Now you know. You didn't know then, but now you know. There's just impossible for us to know on the front end. But if we could, if we could, if we could, what, what would vows look like in reality? So here's the deal. If you're married, I want you to listen to this. If you're not married, this is what you're signing up for. This is what it looks like. And, and, and this is going to be different. Um, I asked my wife Donna to read this for you guys. And she said she would if I did it with her. So we did it together. And it's an audio file. It's not video. And it's kind of long. So over the next few minutes, what I want you to do is just kind of listen. Close your eyes if you need to. And just listen. We're going to play it for you. Donna, my wife, and I did this together a few days ago. This is is reality, vows? Let's learn together.
1: I take you to be my husband.
0: To be my wife.
1: To have and to hold from this day forward, in sickness and in health, in the scars on our hearts from previous relationships, in the invisible baggage we've carried since childhood. In the unrealistic expectations we'll have for one another. In the crazy issues of relatives we'll inherit. In the specific neurosis we'll have to carry for each other. In the cutting words we'll speak, even knowing how much they'll hurt. In the emotional distance that will sneak up on us.
0: In receding hairlines and expanding waistlines in disastrous vacations that we can't afford to begin with, in changes to one another that will challenge us, in unceremonious firings and career disasters, in unlikely victories and unexpected joy, in dreams and plans and paths that will diverge, in times when we're on top of the world, in times when we're hanging by a thread, In countless treasures we'll find hiding in the ordinary. In quiet resentments we'll let fester too long. In the way we'll memorize the lines on one another's faces. In leaving each other the last cookie.
1: In personal sacrifices we can't imagine we'll one day have to make. In pregnancy or infertility or miscarriage. In defending one another fiercely. In middle school projects we'll hear about the night before. In late night pipe cleaner runs to the grocery store. In opportunities we'll miss for one another. In bankruptcies and failed businesses and poor investments. In hands we'll hold through inconceivable grief. In the things we'll do that will one day drive each other nuts. In the times we'll do those things on purpose because we know. In learning how to push each other's buttons. In choosing not to push them.
0: In midlife crisis that will appear early and repeatedly. In impulse buys and odd fashion choices we'll make as a result. In hot sex and the times when it isn't so hot or existent. In the billion holy moments that we alone will share, in frantic middle-of-the-night rides to the hospital, in the fitting together of our bodies when we embrace, in forgiving stuff we'll never dream we'll be able to forgive, in the space we'll make to let each other's guards down fully, in the time we'll waste staring into phones while we're together, in the arguments we'll have when we're really angry at someone else.
1: In the candy, we'll hide from our children. In the candy, we'll hide from one another. In the flatulence, we'll each blame on the dog. In the comparisons, we'll sometimes make to other marriages. In the times, we'll pine for the greener grass. In the times, we'll realize it's beneath our feet. In it hitting the fan. In cleaning it up together. In the changes we won't see coming. In the diagnosis we won't see coming. In the approaching car we won't see coming.
0: In a vomiting kid on a road trip. In a second vomiting kid on a road trip. In the way we'll fight with one another. In the way we'll fight for one another in so many things that would terrify us today if we knew we'd go through them in the wild exhilarating sacred painful working out of a marriage that won't look like any other that has ever existed on the planet and one that we're going to hold tightly to with everything we have until death do us part this is my solemn vow
1: this is my solemn vow
0: That, my friends, is what you before me requires of us. That is the journey of oneness. You before me, till we become one. And I know some of you are just hung up on the fact that, did we just hear the words hot sex and flatulence in church? Yes, you did. Yeah, welcome to marriage. Welcome to real life. Welcome to relationships. No need to pretend. I want to pray for your marriage, if you're married. If one day you will be married, I want to pray for you as prepare for that. If you're healing from a bad marriage situation, I want to pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us Jesus, who perfected submission. And then invited us to simply watch him. And even though Jesus wasn't married, he invites us to watch him in our marriages and submit to one another. So may we, you before me, like we mean it and learn those dance steps and it's awkward and it's weird and it's challenging and painful. But may we commit to you before me on our journey to oneness, to oneness. And for all of us, who either in the past or now fall outside of the lines and the boundaries of your original design and intent for sex and marriage. Father, first of all, may we receive your grace. And may we, to the best of our ability with your strength, figure out what it looks like to take steps towards honoring your original design and intent, starting where we are now. Father, I ask those who are married to make this commitment of you before me till we become one. For those that one day will be married, may we go in with both eyes wide open knowing this is the commitment we're making and for all of those who've experienced pain around these things, may they know your healing and your peace. Father, this ain't perfect, but it sure is beautiful. We thank
1: you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.